Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. No matter where you are at in life, habits will form a large portion of your time spent. We often will use habits to distract or self-soothe ourselves, and we can tend to overdo things, especially if we have a compulsive tendency, which many of us do. Too much drinking or smoking, too much eating junk food or just too much eating, too much internet and porn, too much sports fixation or work fixation. Maybe we do all of it. Or perhaps we have a habitual way of speaking. We always talk about the same things in the same ways over and over and over again, ad nauseum. Or maybe we habitually gossip or complain. I notice this habitual speech in myself as I engage in yet another conversation about sports. It's not bad per se. It's just not particularly relevant. Not really anyways. We have so many other layers that want expression right now. Why habitually stay on the surface? To make matters worse, we can spot this in others more readily. Habits are easy to see in others, aren't they? We can spot the denial in our friends and loved ones a mile away. We can really see it in them, but not so much in ourselves. So it is here we find ourselves at the edge of our learning. Habits tend to live in the shadows, so we can't always get a clear picture of them or the effect they are having on us. Sometimes it's not until we strip something away that we see how something was really impacting us or those around us. How do we upgrade habits that don't serve our best interests? As someone who has given up drinking and smoking years ago, I have been the direct beneficiary of looking at and letting go of habits that are unhealthy. And I am no saint. Quite the contrary. My hero's journey has been messy, full of addiction and compulsion and methods of self-soothing that are less than noble. Yet none of that matters, does it? You may arrive at your next chapters tattered and worn out and unsure of why you do what you do. I remember the fear that would come up whenever I would challenge myself to let go of an unhealthy habit. My ego would absolutely scream to not do it. What did I do? Well, after procrastinating and telling myself I couldn't do it for months on end, I used the tools in my toolbox. I looked at my mission statement and my purpose in life, and I said, this is the kind of man I want to be for my loved ones, for future generations, for my ancestors, and for the world. I also asked for support whenever I needed it. Believe me, it takes a village to get us all to align with our courage and dignity, and we're getting there, each of us. I am continually amazed at the soulful level of conversations that I'm having all over the place. Sometimes the most heroic thing you can do is to challenge yourself to let go of the things that you know really don't serve you, to travel lighter in the next chapters of your story. I can promise you, you won't regret it. Let's go talk to my guest today, a man who has also walked on and continues to walk on this path of discovery. My guest today is someone who exemplifies the authentic road. Eric Zimmer is a behavior coach, podcast host, and author. At the age of 24, Eric was homeless, struggling with drug addiction, and facing jail time. In the years since, he not only found a way to overcome these obstacles to create a life worth living, he now helps others do the same. Eric is the creator and the host of the award-winning podcast, The One You Feed, which is based on the old parable about two wolves at battle within us. With over 300 episodes and over 15 million downloads, the show features conversations with experts across many fields of study about how to create a life worth living. Here is my interview with Eric Zimmer. Okay, I am here with Eric Zimmer, podcaster, workshop leader, Eric Zimmer. Eric, welcome back to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Tony, for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you we did a show together way back in episode 48 titled uh, appropriately The One You Feed, which is the name of your podcast. And, uh, you know, this episode's all about sort of finding resources for your spiritual renewal and, and uh, you know, what are the resources right now for us as humanity. And I know you've got a new program coming up, a spiritual habits program. So I want to give you a chance to talk about that and take a look at some of the components and what people might get out of that. Um, but my first question is like, did you, did it take you a long time to develop the program or did it come pretty fast? Um, and how did you come to start it? Like what was the, what was the motivation to start the program? That makes me think of what's, there's some, some question about, um, I think it's whether it's fame or money and, and somebody, you know, is it, they say it, you know, happened, uh, slowly then kind of all at once. So in right. some ways the <laughs> creating yeah. the program has been like, you know, the, the, the work of a lifetime. Yep. Uh, and in other ways, when I sat down to actually create it, it came relatively easy. I, I, but I was pretty clear by then what I wanted to create. You know, we were, I don't know how many years into doing the podcast and how many years I was into doing coaching uh, before I created it, you know? So I didn't sort of start with like, well, I've got to find something to take to market, you know? And right. it, really, it really became clear to me like, oh, these are my, my areas, my niches. This is the contribution I have to offer. And so... Once I would, once I had the idea of what it was, um, it came together relatively easy. Although you know, every time we do it, it gets better and it gets improved, and and uh, you know, so it's kind of always a work in progress. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's for for workshop leaders. That's kind of the, you know, you're always kind of fine tuning. Um, it's it sounds daunting. I think for me, I know it was when I started doing those first workshops to put your stuff together, but then you know, once you do, I think it's, you go, wait, this is really good. Why am I withholding this? Why am I not really putting this out there in a real clear fashion for people? So, um, yeah, I think, I think sometimes workshop leaders can be kind of reluctant a little bit at the beginning, maybe they're coaching or maybe they're doing stuff one-on-one and they're like, I don't know if I want to do the whole group thing, but it, it really does add, uh, a bunch of things to your toolbox as a, as a facilitator and a leader. And it also provides something for, for your participants, um, in in the in the uh, in the uh, marketing material, you said that you talk about four principles that make it easy to build any habit, and this is something that's really really valuable for people because I I think sometimes people get stuck with habits that they have outgrown. Uh, and they're unclear. Maybe they've tried willpower, they've tried affirmations, and maybe it's really not. They're not able to unlock it. So, um, what what are the four principles that you work with uh, as you help people take a look at habits and maybe form some new habits? Yeah, I mean, I think what you said there is a really important idea, which is that um, we get we get locked into habits, and that habit creation is really important. And there's a lot of myths out there about habits. So, the four principles are: um, first, is to know your why. So mm. being clear about why are we doing something is really important. And it's often helpful to really ask why about your why, you know, it's to, it's to say, well, I want to be in better shape. Okay. Well, why is that important? And mm. then you say, well, it's because I value my health. Okay. Well, why is that important? And you keep, you keep asking, um, and, and maybe you go five levels deep, maybe you go two levels deep. It doesn't really matter. But what you're after is the 
the most emotional part of it you can get. Mm. Because that's where the energy comes from. Yep. The energy comes from the emotion of knowing why you're doing it. So first, we've just got to be clear on why we're doing it. And, and we may need to revisit that at various junctures throughout the way. The second is to start small, mm. is to just start perhaps doing less than we think we need to do. And it's basically because motivation has a tendency to wax and wane. It goes up, it goes down. And um, we, need a, we need a habit, at least in the beginning, that can withstand some of that. Mm-hmm. And then the third is to be specific. Like, what are you doing very specifically? So it's one thing to be like, well, I want to uh, be in better shape. Obviously, that's not nearly specific enough. Well, I'm going to exercise today. That's better. But best would be something like every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7 a.m., I'm going to do the following strength training workout or I'm going to walk around the block for 20 minutes or whatever it is. But we want to eliminate uh, as much ambiguity as we can because ambiguity uh, is a place that procrastination can get a hold, which sort of leads us to the fourth one, which is to separate decision from action. And that just means to sort of step back and decide from a, a, a higher place, a wiser place, what's important and what matters to us. And that way, when the time comes to do it, we can put all of our attention into just doing mm-hmm. versus deciding. So for example, if I get up back to my exercise example, and I say, well, I'm going to work out sometime today. If you're anything like me all morning long, I'm like, well, should I do it now? And I'm like, no, not right now. Well, should I do it now? I don't know. Well, I could do it after I eat, but if I do it before I eat, that might be good. But then I forgot about And before I've even gotten anywhere near exercising, I have expended a tremendous amount of mental energy in figuring it out. And so then when it comes time to do it, I'm already mentally fatigued to some degree. So separating decision from action is really helpful in that way. And then secondly, the second part of decision from action, the separation, is that you try not to then revisit your decision. You're like, it's time for action, not deciding. I already mm-hmm. decided. Now I'm acting. So gotcha. separating decision from action is, is the fourth piece of it. I, I, I definitely working with, you know, men for a long time, there's a particular group that is, you know, it's not a big group, but there's definitely ones that are a little stuck and they are procrastinators. And I see them not being specific enough on a regular basis to your point there's this oh i've got to i've got to get in better shape um but there's no they're not drilling down into it at all it's almost like well are you being it, they don't seem very serious about creating a new habit if they're not going to get specific and even when they get called out on it sometimes they don't they resist it it's almost like this this shadow of safety you know where the ego huh? is like don't don't do that if you go down that road uh, you might be doing all kinds of crazy stuff that's out of your comfort zone, right? Or something like that. Like the, the subconscious voice is telling them not to do it for some reason because they're getting coached to do it, but they don't, they resist being specific because there's accountability then, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of that you can reflect back into knowing your why, because as mm. we explore motivation, right? The other thing we have to explore sometimes is competing priorities. Right. So yes, I have a, I have a desire to exercise 
And I also have a desire to perhaps get enough sleep. And those things are in competition with each other. So we've got to find a way to, uh, to get those clear. Or it may, it may not even be something as, as noble as wanting more sleep, right? I want to exercise, but I also uh, have a competing priority that says I want to waste an hour or a day on Facebook. Right. And so, yeah. you know, when we look at habit change, uh, you probably see some variation on this, right? I really look at there's sort of two components, right? One is the very tactical sort of stuff. And that's sort of what we talk about, you know, start small, be specific, separate decision from action, structure your environment to make it easy, you know, have accountability. They're very tactical things. Mm -hmm. But the other element of it is what I would call emotional regulation. And it basically means being able to work with our thoughts and our emotions skillfully enough that we can act according to our values. Mm. So that's what throws a lot of us off is we're like, okay, I've decided what I'm going to do, but then it's either I'm tired, I'm in a bad mood, I had a frustrating meeting with my boss, my wife and I are in an argument. There's some emotional thing that's happening that then that emotional weather rolls in and it causes us to decide to change the plan. So we have to be able to really work with those thoughts and emotions in a skillful enough way, not a repression way. Right. In a skillful way that allows us to then go, okay, I can be with that feeling, I can be with that emotion, and I'm still going to act according to my values. And in this case, our values are very often just what we planned for the day, right? Our plans are hopefully done right, are an expression or a vehicle for our values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's well said. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you about something. You you had written that there were that there's two surprising elements that drive all spiritual transformation, and that's that's something that's interesting to me. And I wanted to ask you about what those are. You like that marketing copy? That's I a, love it. That's I a, love a, it. A headline grabbing the two surprising. I know. I know. I know. It's, you but, know well, I'm, I'm, if you say it, do it yeah, if you say anything about spiritual transformation, I'm going to ask you about it. it. Doesn't matter what is said in the marketing copy. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Actually, though, there, I do think these uh, are the mm. are underlying elements in. Um, spiritual transformation, I would say, argue any kind of transformation to some degree. And mm -hmm. the first is, and we've talked, we've, we've touched on them a little bit. The first is intention. Mm -hmm. What is my intention? What do I actually want to do and why? You know, really understanding that. So if it's spiritual transformation, what's my intention? What are the qualities that I'm trying to bring into the world? And when I use intention, I don't mean it in the, uh, sense that it's sometimes used, like I set an intention and I'll attract it to myself through the universe, right? Yeah, That's yeah. not really what I mean. Mm -hmm. By intention, particularly in a spiritual sense, I more mean what's important about this situation and wh who's the person I want to be or what qualities of spirit or heart do I want to bring to it? Yeah. So intention is much more frequently thinking about that. All right, I'm about to have dinner with my family. What's important about that? Who do I want to be here during? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what, and most of us, we all get on autopilot. It's why I loved what you did before you and I started this podcast. We stopped. Yep. Mm -hmm. and actually thought about why we're here, what we're doing, mm -hmm. right? So intention is the first piece. And then the second piece is attention. Where is my attention? Because the quality of our life is really directly proportional to what our attention is on. Mm -hmm. 
So if we can, we want to be paying more attention to where our attention is, and then not to make word soup out of this, but we want to actually see, is our attention in line with our intention? Mm-hmm. So back to the family dinner thing, right? I might say, okay, yeah, it is important. And I, here's the reasons why I want to do that. And the person I want to be is present and connected. But I find myself at dinner and I, and I check where's my attention and I go, oh, I'm still thinking about uh, that meeting I had two hours ago. Mm-hmm. No problem. Our minds are all over the place, right? They always wander, but that's a chance for me to go, that attention is not aligned with my intention. So let me try and bring it back into alignment with my intention. And when we're consistent about doing those two things, what's important about this moment, this situation, this day, and is my attention aligned with that? Then we start to create real transformation. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's it's funny when you were talking about intention and having it be in alignment with your values. I thought about. I mean, you and I talked about it in the first episode we did together. That um, you know there was a process I had to go through where I had to get sober for it to be in alignment with where I was going next in my hero's journey. And I remember working years later with my spiritual teacher, um, who was just utterly aligned, you know, with his intention, right? And it really got me to see, you know, because at the time I I had a, you know, I was kind of compartmentalized. I was doing a lot of spiritual work, you know, and meditation and stuff. But I was also like, you know, I I was doing fantasy football because I was a big sports fan. And I just, I started to look at where I was putting my attention and asking, is that really in alignment with where you're going? And then, you know, having to say, you know what, fantasy football is not the top of the list. It's nowhere near, it's not even close to being relevant to what is really important to me. So I dropped it. Um, but sometimes I think, uh, to your point earlier, we get, we can get kind of stuck in habits that don't get, mm, you know, like the light doesn't quite get shined on them in a way where you're like, let me look at this and really ask, is this, is this going to weigh me down going to where I want to go? Or is this part of the journey? And for me, there was things I had to let go of that were clearly, you know, it didn't take me long as I sat with them to say, no, that's, that's not part of you. You got to let that go gently and with compassion, but uh, that, that probably is not going to go on the next step for you. I don't know if that was your, your process at all, but it, it certainly was for me. I think it's still part part of my process. Absolutely, you know, yeah. There's, yep. there's there are these things that are um, somewhat, you know, we might say they're somewhat innocuous. Mm-hmm. You know, like fantasy football is not, uh, you know, heroin addiction, right? So no, no. It's it's, but the question really becomes often one of, as they would say in the business world, opportunity cost. What is the fantasy football taking time away from? So one of the things yeah. I do when I coach people is I'll say, okay, you want to, you, you say you want to do, you know, X, you want to build a meditation practice. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that you don't sit around much with nothing to do. Right. Right. You know? Okay. So where is that time coming from? What activity are you going to do less of in order to find time to do that? And that's where we start dipping into some of those more extracurricular activities that, again, are relatively innocuous, but might be taking us away. Another frame to look at it, and we're doing this with, um, there's a there's sort of a version two of the spiritual habits program. Mm-hmm. It's a more intensive, uh, smaller group. And one of the one of the things we're working on this week is talking about a Buddhist concept of taking refuge. 
Although it's not only a Buddhist concept. I mean, all, all major uh, spiritual traditions have some concept. They'll say, you know, the Lord is your refuge, right? And, and refuge just means like, where do I go when there's trouble? Mm-hmm. And what we're examining are what are true refuges, places that we can really go when we're troubled, when we're, when we're, when we're struggling. And then what are the false refuges that we go to? Where are the places that we go um, when you know, when we need some comfort, but maybe lead to more suffering in the long run. And so getting clear on what those are, again, it's not, it's not, like you said, it's not a, a a condemnation in any way, shape or form. It's just to sort of say, well, how does this stack up in the importance level in my life? And, you know, some things, if I want to grow, I'm going to need to prioritize certain things over other things. Absolutely. Yeah. You brought up earlier the social media thing. I've had times when my, you know, my phone tracks everything. And there's sometimes when I'll go, whoa, I was on social media for an hour and a half. Like, was that really necessary? You know? And it's like, and it wasn't necessarily an unusual day, you know? So I'm like, wait, maybe, maybe there's something coming into the picture. Yeah. You don't do fantasy football anymore, but what are you doing with this you know, it's not like you're just checking a couple things. Clearly, you're meandering and spending time. And is that really taking you where you need to go? You know, so and again, it's not a condemnation. It's just a noticing, oh, well, that's yeah. a lot of time in a day. You know what I mean? So totally. And the, and the more we build our awareness, the more we can start to see some of that stuff as it's happening mm. and be like, oh, look, you know, like I'll, I, now I'm, I'll find myself. I'm like, I'm meandering in Twitter. Why am I here? Yeah, yeah. Oh, because I'm feeling X, Y, and Z. You know, right. I'm looking for something. I'm unsettled in some way. And this happens so quickly with so many of us. It's Absolutely. like, it's not this emotional regulation I'm talking about of, you know, working with our thoughts and emotions uh, skillfully enough to act according to our values. We don't even necessarily see it happening. We're not like, oh, I'm feeling this way, so now I'm instead going to not do what I should, and I'm going to go procrastinate. It just happens, right? Absolutely. But as we bring more awareness to it, we start to see the process happening sooner and sooner and more and more in real time, and we have more opportunities to intervene. And we're, and we're so addicted to technology. I mean, pre- myself included, it's like it, at the... At the shadow, even the hint of any boredom, restlessness, loneliness, anything like that, it's not like I'm going to the cushion and sitting for 30 minutes in meditation when that thing hits. It's like I go, I reach for the phone and say, take, you know, let me feel something different than that. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's completely not even in my awareness. I have to be super present and super conscious to even catch the, the seed of restlessness, boredom, loneliness that has me looking for my phone. It's like, why, why do I need to get on my phone right now? Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's kind of absurd, but it's, and it's a little comical, but it's also, uh, you know, I want to continue to be a little more skillful in that, uh, and more conscious cause I, I want to live, you know, my, my best life essentially. And, and maybe like just always reflexively reaching for my phone is maybe not part of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we want a deeper experience of being alive, we actually have to be present for more of the moments of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so that that does usually come at, you know, pulling a little bit of time away from where most of us devote it, which is to the devices. And there's nothing wrong with them uh, yeah. ne- necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of great things about it, but but yeah, it can be a 
can definitely be a place that we turn to. And, you know, if we're like, well, I'd like to be more mindful, right? Well, where are the moments we can be mindful? A lot of them are the times that we reach for the phone. And instead, we can practice, you know, something like, um, let me ground myself in my senses. You know, what are five things I can see right now? What are five things I can hear right now? What are five things I can feel in my body right now? Again, it just takes a minute, but you do that. And one of the key underlying principles to the spiritual habits program is that little by little, a little becomes a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we may be interested in spiritual development, but most of us are not going to... Um, walk away from our busy lives and go live in a monastery. So if we're going to develop, it's going to happen in these little moments. Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to have big, long moments. Maybe we can go on retreat for a a day, a week, a month, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But even even then, it's going to be intermittent. So we've got to start capturing the little moments. So we focus in the spiritual habits program a lot on capturing lots of little moments. Another phrase we use uh, comes from a, a, a meditation teacher, Locke Kelly, but I love it. He says, small glimpses many times. And I love that idea. Right. Like, I'm just going to glimpse the truth. I'm just going to glimpse my deeper nature. I'm going to glimpse peace or presence, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do it very briefly, but I'm going to stitch it throughout my day. And over time, that's going to grow and grow and grow. That's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what are... What are some things that unhappy people tend to hold on to. Well, there is a uh, a, a quote from the psycho, uh, is he a psychoanalyst, uh, psychotherapist. His name was Albert Ellis. He was he was fairly well known back in his day, and he was kind of controversial. He said all kinds of outrageous things, which I'll perhaps spare you and your listeners. <laughs> but he did say one thing that I thought was really brilliant and beautiful. And he said, unhappy people hold on to three rigid expectations. Mm. The first is that they should always do well. Mm-hmm. The second is they should always uh, be treated well. Mm-hmm. And the third is that life should always go well. Again, we all have a preference that those things would occur, right? right, right. I mean, you would be human if you didn't. But there's a difference between a preference and an expectation. Mm-hmm. And when there's an expectation of those three things, we live in a state of constant disappointment, frustration, and a constant state of it shouldn't be like this. Mm-hmm. I should be able to do better. You should treat me better. This thing needs to work out. And when we sort of recognize like that is just not going to happen. That is not the way of the world. Right, right, right. We can release that expectation. And that is one way of moving out of a chronic unhappiness many of us put ourselves in simply by that very unrealistic expectation. Yeah, there, there's it. When you were talking about uh, expectation. I thought of a quote by Suzuki Roshi, a really famous Buddhist monk. He said, no expectations is samadhi. And that mm. samadhi translates into bliss or heaven. So no expectations is heaven or bliss. And it's a beautiful, you know, one sentence pointer towards how are expectations that you have, and you mentioned three of them really specifically, how are those uh, uh, sabotaging your own happiness and peace and, and vitality, right? It's, uh, and, we, and in the West, we don't often think, we don't often think of going 
with low expectations or no expectations because we're taught to drive and be ambitious and to put, you know, dream big. So that means put expectations really high in your relationship, in your career, for yourself, you know, shoot for the stars and all that stuff. But sometimes that can really get in the way and it also makes it kind of really an ego trip where it's like you doing it, every, you doing everything. It, it kind of minimizes the role of maybe the divine or any kind of divine inspiration or being brought along. Right. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to mention that to you. I thought, I thought that was really, really great uh, uh, that you pointed out expectations and, and how those can get in the way. Oh, you opened up. Uh, we could do three podcasts on what you just said there. I mean, A, one of the big things I've done since you and I talked is committed to several years of really intensive, really deep Zen practice. So Beautiful. Suzuki Roshi has been, you know, uh, uh, is, is, considered the, you know, one of the greatest Zen masters of the West. And yep. there's another Zen line, which is the way is easy for he who doesn't have preferences. You know, it speaks to a, it speaks to a very similar idea. And I think you're right. There's a nuance to this. This isn't like we, we should never, um, you know, have any uh, boundaries of how people treat us in our lives. And it doesn't mean that we don't try and, and, and make great things happen. And, but it's really sort of, uh, the spirit is really, you know, doing it, doing my, doing your best and forgetting the rest. There's that, uh, what it was a P90X trainer, Tony Horton, kind of funny, yeah. cheesy guy. I don't know if you remember that exercise. Yeah, program. yeah sure. Sure. Just yeah. Say that all the time. And I, yeah. I, it's a line that has stuck with me because it's so good. Do your best and forget the rest. Right. And that's, that's how we can work with, you know, our expectations of ourselves is, yeah, we want to do our best. We want to show up in the best way we can. We want to bring the best things we can to our family, to the people around us, the people we love. So we do what we can do, but then we've just got to let go mm. of the rest. It's, and, and it's that, that all the rest of it is where that expectation lies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what are we resisting? It's a real Buddhist thing to say, to free yourself from suffering, uh, you need to you need to drop the resistance. What is it that we're resisting? Well, in some cases, everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think we want to. That is one of the concepts in the program is that mm -hmm. we look at resistance, right? There's an equation that makes its way around Buddhist circles occasionally, and it goes like this: It says that suffering equals pain times resistance, and I think it's brilliant. Right. And I actually like the mathematical nature of it because what it says is let's just say that there's something in our lives we don't particularly like, but we're not going to change it or we can't change it. So I'll give you an example. My, my partner, Jenny, her mom has uh, Alzheimer's. At this point, it's late stage Alzheimer's. And we have been going back and forth from Columbus, Ohio to Atlanta, Georgia every month for close to four years now to take care of her mom who's there and my mom who's here. And so that's a drag some of the time, right? It just sure. is. Yep. But it's what we've decided we're going to do based on our values. So let's just say that that is a pain. Uh, let's just, let's put things on a scale of one to 10. And let's just pretend that causes me pain of like a three. Just the actual actual having to do it just is, you know, it's just a drag in some way. So it it's, gives me a, a pain level of a three. When I start saying like, oh God, we got to go to Atlanta this weekend. I don't want to. 
you know, like, why do we have to, like, can't, why doesn't her sister help more? And pain level goes up, right? (laughs) Well, that's my, let's think of that as my resistance level, right? So let's say that resistance level is like a five out of 10. Well, if my suffering equals pain times resistance, my pain is three and my resistance is five, I've got 15 points of suffering. Yeah. If I can turn that resistance down to a three, mm-hmm. I now have nine points of suffering and I haven't had to change the underlying situation at all. Mm-hmm. Right. So we will. Yep. So if we look in our lives, we will notice there is a lot of resistance to a lot of things. And so many of them are things that we've already decided we're going to do. Right. Or that we can't change. And mm-hmm. so we're, but, but all this mental energy goes into resistance and, and resistance takes so many different forms. So what we explore is what are all the different ways that we're resisting and can you turn it down some? You don't have yeah. to get rid of it. Matter of fact, you're probably not going to get rid of it because you're human. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be like, I don't, I, you know, I don't feel like doing it right now. Or, but but the, the, more, the less of it we can do the more freedom we start to have. And, and to back to what you just said a minute ago, right? If we want to take Suzuki Roshi's phrase and we want to translate uh, samadhi as bliss or heaven, and there's, there's different ways to, to do it. But I found this principle of you know, allowing things to be the way they are when taken far enough and in the right circumstances have led to some truly profound, what I would consider, you know, uh, samadhi states, right? That really were blissful or heavenly or however you want to think about it. Mm -hmm. I somehow got in the neighborhood of being able just to take my hands off of the controls of my existence and just go, let me just let things be the way they are right here. And I'm not talking about across your whole life. I'm not talking about not you know, not controlling what you can control, but, but really sort of settling in and going, not every moment of my life do I need to be figuring out a problem. That's really great, Eric. I'm really glad you pointed that out. I think that's a really powerful piece to work with um, because so much of our resistance is on a subconscious level and we don't even know we're doing it almost Ever. I mean, it could be you could be a persistent complainer, or maybe you get resigned and cynical, or maybe, you know, like your, your point with driving to your mother in law's. Uh, there's, I notice in myself, I can make it harder on myself by going, oh, duh, you know, I got it, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And I've never really noticed that it was me, perhaps adding to my suffering and the ones and the people around me as well. I'm actually spreading this kind of resistance to the presence. Uh, to the present moment, to the flow, to the life flow. I'm just kind of, you know, putting the brakes on, uh, even though I've agreed to it already. You know, it's like I've already said I'm going to do it. I'm going camping and then I'm complaining about the drive. Like, I know that there's a drive involved. Like, why am am I now being resistant and complaining and having my wife and my son have to deal with my resistance to something I've already decided? That's yeah, that's it. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, we all do it to some Mm -hmm. degree, the more we can recognize it and the less we can do it, you know, it just, again, it does reduce our suffering and increases our freedom. That's great. Well, Eric, tell us about the logistics of the program. Uh, you know, when, when can people do it? Does it, does it have a hard start date? Is it self-directed where people get videos and they can kind of click on it at any time? Uh, what do they get out of it? Like, are they, are they getting videos or a workbook? Like how is it structured? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about it. So people know uh, what they're going to get. 
Sure. I mean, there's two versions of the Spiritual Habits Program. You can do it one-on-one with me. So if you want to do the program, we do it one-on-one together, and I, mm-hmm. I work with people on that. But twice a year, we run it as a group program. And, and like you, I believe so much in the power of groups. There's so many amazing things that can happen in the power of a group. So the way it works is um, we meet on Sundays for eight weeks, um, and and those sessions are mostly me sort of teaching the ideas, the habits, the principles. You know, and what we're doing in spiritual habits is we're really combining the science of behavior change with very, uh, you know, very well known, very very strong and foundational, you know, spiritual principles. The sort of thing that most anybody from any tradition is going to be like, "Oh yeah, of course, yeah, you should do that." Yeah, oh, I agree with that. I mean, none of this is like controversial, right? I'm not talking about like manifesting, you know, your mom's spirit animal from three lifetimes ago, right? It's right, like, right. oh, we, oh, yeah, we should be more generous. Okay, how do I actually do that? So we, we, the 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 term spiritual habit comes from in the combination of spiritual principles with behavior change principles to allow us to actually live these things out. So every, uh, every Sunday for eight weeks, we, we meet and I basically give the, the basic ideas, the practices, the principles, the habits. And then we divide the big group up. And, and the big group just depends on um, how many people. Last time we did it, there were 100 people. Um, but we divide that big group up into smaller groups. And those smaller groups are five or six people. And they meet on Wednesday night. So main group on Sunday, small groups on Wednesday throughout the program. And it really gives people a chance to get to know each other, build community, and really sort of dive deeper into this material. And one of the most rewarding things for me has been that so many of those groups continue today well after the program is over. That's fantastic. Where where do they find, what website do they go to to find it? Yeah, if you go to um, spiritualhabits.net, You can find out about the the group program and and enrollment uh, opens up on Sunday, September 26th, and it goes till, uh, I believe, Sunday, October 10th. Beautiful. This is coming out yeah. just in the nick of time. Hopefully the uh, the listeners yeah. will, will, will find this and uh, and go check out the program and participate in the program if they're ready for transfer. Yeah, yeah. If if, if it makes sense for them. Yep. Uh, yeah. you know, and if you go to spiritualhabits.net, you can sort of learn all about it. And um, yeah, and that's probably about all the commercial part I want to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Eric, thanks so much for coming on Basecamp for a minute. It's always great to be in a conversation with you. And thank you so much for all the work you do uh, in spiritual renewal work with people and uh, doing your part to uplift humanity. So appreciate your partnership. You're a true spiritual warrior. So thank you very much. Thank you, Tony. I really do appreciate you having me on and it was great to catch up again. And I look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed our time with Eric Zimmer as much as I did. To learn how to build better habits and let go of what you're resisting, go participate in his Spiritual Habits program at www.spiritualhabits.net. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. 
Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men.